You're listening to the Broadway Podcast Network. It is Ryan here, and I have a question for you. What do you do when you win? Like, are you a fist pumper? A woohooer, a hand clapper, a high fiver. I kind of like the high five, but if you want to hone in on those winning moves, check out Chumba Casino. At chumbacasino.com, choose from hundreds of social casino style games for your chance to redeem serious cash prizes. There are new game releases weekly, plus free daily bonuses. So don't wait. Start having the most fun ever at chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. DTW, void, we're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions 18 plus. Hey guys, it is Ryan. I'm not sure if you know this about me, but I'm a bit of a fun fanatic when I can. I like to work, but I like fun too. It's a thing. And now the truth is out there. I can tell you about my favorite place to have fun. Chumba Casino. They have hundreds of social casino style games to choose from with new games released each week. You can play for free anytime, anywhere. And each day brings a new chance to collect daily bonuses. So join me in the fun. Sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. VTW. Void or prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus. Welcome back to another episode of Tell Me on a Sunday. I'm so flattered that you're still listening. What's your end game? I'm just kidding. Uh, I'm very appreciative. I, I can't, I'm, I'm so excited for you to join me today because I have Mr. Ethan Slater, who you remember from SpongeBob SquarePants. Nailed it. And uh, he's great. Like, he is so nice, and I can't wait for you to meet him, because when I met him, I was like, this guy, he's really nice and genuine. What's what's his deal? What's he after? And nothing. He's after nothing. He is just kind and sweet, and I think that you're going to see that today. He is currently starring in Assassins at Classic Stage Company, and he also just released an EP called Wanderer, and it is good, and you should listen to it and stream it and download it and all those things, but he's a creator. He has a great voice, and I don't mean just like, nah, I mean like truly writing voice, and, and he's going to crank out so many great things. I just can't wait for you to meet him. So here he is, Mr. Ethan Slater. Ethan Slater. Hey, everyone. So, can you... I, I will tell a short story about you that you don't know. Okay. Okay. Um, <laughs> so, <laughs> I remember when... I don't know if you remember, you did a show called Spongebob. Uh, oh, yeah, yeah. Yeah, it was like... Pff, way back. It was a while ago. It was a while back, and you had been cast, and it was like unannounced, okay? Yeah. And we... Because they announced, because it was like a big deal, like, who was it gonna be, right? Right. And... My husband, Damon, is, like, top tier, like, number two fan of all time besides you of Spongebob. And he was freaking out about the show. He was so excited. And he, like, deaf went in for it and then was seen for Electric Skate. I know. Like, mm, weird. He's so good. He's, he's so As good. Spongebob. Well, well, so he was, like, so excited. But he was, like, you know, like, I don't know. I mean, and then we saw your announcement. And I was, like, Damon, 
that guy, that guy's SpongeBob. And he's like, I respect him. It's gonna be hard for me. Like, you, we we take everything like in this business so silly, personally, yeah. and it's like it's not that. You know what I mean? That's and so real, though. It is very real. Like, I'm sure it happens to you all the time. Where you're like, ah. Oh, Okay. Oh, man. Yeah. Oh, it's that guy. Oh, yeah, he's and great. And so we yeah. made this inside joke that you were his arch nemesis. Now, <laughs> so, 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 so. But, like, it was not real. Obviously, you had never come into contact with us. But, like, <laughs> I was like, but we do this. We only call people arch nemesis if there's literally no reason for them to be an arch nemesis. Sure, because Our, if it's too real, then it becomes... Then it's mean. Like, then yeah, it's, it's like actually, toxic, like... It, like, hurts you. Right, right, right. More than it's them. like, oh, well, they're in the room. So. Right. Um... But I saw you coming out of Ripley Greer one time, and I called David. I was like, "Just ran into your arch nemesis. Did not run into you at all. <laughs> like literally walked past you." <laughs> and then David was like, "Oh well, like is he is he working on the project?" And I'm like, "Yeah, he he was great." Like, <laughs> but it became this dumb thing. Cut to like us seeing the show because like I think was it Tom Kitt was working yeah, on it yeah. and like he was also doing Rise like yeah. with Damon so like a bunch of people from the show came and we were like I think we were hovering in the rafters that's how high above I had my opera glasses I was like he's doing great can't see um, but it was, it was so much fun and we were freaking out and then yeah so we kept enjoying it and I was like we gotta let it go he's no longer arch nemesis <sighs> and he's like no we should still call him that in our head so then, cut to, we're at the Cheetah Rivera Awards, and I was like, Damon, you're never going to believe who's in that room. And he was like, what? And I was like, it's your arch nemesis. <laughs> and he was like, finally. So then... If only I'd known that was the context <laughs> of our meeting. And then you were so nice. But yeah, we like sat, we hung out all night. Yeah, but also, like, we were the youngest people in the room that we were so in. So true. Who was in that room? George C. Wolfe. <laughs> Ben Varane. We were literally sitting there. We are like, we're not supposed to be here. Like, it was yeah. like the weirdest green room I've been in in a long time. Um, or, uh, wait, wait. There, there were some amazing people in that room. It was yeah, yeah. so funny. Well, obviously, Cheetah Rivera was there. And that was <laughs> yeah. outrageous. Mm -hmm. um, oh, God. It, see, this is my problem. I actually have, like, a weirdly unspecific memory. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Where you just kind of see it, like, as a... Where, like, I remember the feeling of it. Oh. I, like, remember, like... I remember, like... Tessa was there. The cheese plate. She was amazing. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Cheese plate. The cheese plate. I remember the bags. They were good swag bags. Yeah, and I... And I, like, wasn't sure whether I... There was none with my name on it, so I was, like, right. look... I was, like, is it uncouth to, like, look around and check the names of all of the swag bags? Right, because all, the, like, the very established, like, older actors in the back were just, like, literally chilling, not grabbing the swag bags. Do not like, care about the swag bags. We need this? Yeah. And I, like, I like sidled up to you. I was, like, hey, do you have a swag bag? <laughs> yeah. And I was, like, I will take one when you take I one. I do believe that was our first conversation, was about that, swag bags. It was. And that's... That's that's how friendships are made. Um, my wife still wears the shirt that we got there constantly. Oh, yeah. that's nice. So, constant you know, reminder. Constant, constant reminder. Um, yeah, there was like a lot of people in that room, and we had a good night. And um, tried to convince you and your wife to move to Hoboken. Yeah. <laughs> no, like, little by little, it's working. Yeah, I think slowly. We live in Brooklyn. I love Brooklyn. I know. Um, Wait, what part? Well, I can't disclose that information. That's weird. I was like, what part of Brooklyn do you? Yeah, we're not we're not a part that you've heard of. You know. Yeah, no, we're, it's just, new. It's a new neighborhood. Yeah, built new neighborhood. It last just, year. Yeah, exactly. It's in the middle of the river. It's a little. Mm -hmm. um, it's an oh, I, I really like love it there. Mm-hmm. My like family, a lot of my family immigrated from Europe to Brooklyn from like really? Poland and Russia, Lower East Side. You and can Brooklyn like track Jews. it. 
Um, yeah, so like my, I mean my grandmother, you know, not not super yeah. far back. No, but still, so like, that's really cool. So I feel a lot of uh, roots there. In this I sort think of that's fun sweet. Way. No, no, I mean like I don't have that at all. Like, so I can't yeah. imagine being like, yeah, I literally like live in a place where like people wanted to like come over and like be. Yeah. I think it's yeah, cool. it is cool, and yeah, and they're still sort of around. And they're still yeah, they're sort of around. Which is nice. Um. So, like, you're a performer. That's true. Yeah. And you, when did you, can you tell me a story about, like, an early memory of you performing where you're like, oh, I really like this? Yeah. I, it's interesting. I do feel like I had sort of a slow understanding of wanting to perform and be in theater and as a life. Yeah. I definitely thought of it as one of my many extracurricular hobbies, you know, things <laughs> yeah. that I really love to do, and I mm-hmm. found myself spending the most time focused on it, but I, that didn't really, like, compute to me as something that right. was going to be my career okay. until the end of high school, beginning of college. But I remember, oh, like, wow. early on, my sister was cast, um, she must have been 11, she was cast as Dorothy in The Wizard of Oz in our neighborhood community theater. So it was okay. like, we all went to this one um, family's house and there were like 50 kids sitting in their living room and they would Uh then like the older kids between like 9 and 12 would like go to the basement and like rehearse the scenes (laughs) and then the younger kids would like rehearse the chorus parts up in the living room and I I had been involved in like the chorus section and then Mm -hmm. they were looking for a toto to to my sister's Dorothy and they were like Ethan why don't you do that it's a family affair it was huge I got to go to the basement that's a, well, um, which actually sounds it sounds really creepy out of context. I, I was about to say, like, yeah. given any other circumstance, I'd be like, and we're glad that you got out. Right, that is the start of a horror movie. <laughs> it's like, Ethan, why don't you come to the basement? Yeah, really creepy, but it was uh, awesome. Yeah, and it was it was like, um, I remember I had very few responsibilities as Toto, um, but I took them very seriously, and then we were performing at. Um, the Children's Hospital of Washington, D.C. Wow. We had a performance there. Yeah. And I, like, grabbed the curtain to reveal the wizard. Spoiler alert. Oh. So if you haven't, actually, just skip ahead 15 seconds if you haven't seen The Wizard of Oz. Right, right, right. Okay. Um, but I, like, grabbed the curtain to mm-hmm. reveal the wizard, and I, I, like, went the wrong way, and then I, like, tripped on my feet, and I just brought the whole thing down on top of the old man who was playing the wizard <laughs> behind the curtain. That's funny. And it was, like, my first... On stage catastrophe. But like, did everyone laugh and they like? Oh yeah, it was great. It was a great moment. I was gonna say like, you probably in the moment were like, I messed up big time, (laughs) and then everybody's like, that was brilliant, and you're like, ah, now I know how comedy works, and now I'm addicted. Yeah. Yeah. Mm Mm-hmm. Hundred percent. I actually, um, there's somebody that I I take a lot of inspiration from. His name is Buster Keaton. We (laughs) briefly talked about how we were gonna talk about it later, but. Um, one of the things that I really love about his story is that, like, mm-hmm. when he was a young kid, when he was, like, four years old, he was in a vaudeville show with his parents, and he learned early on that there's nothing funnier to an audience than falling and looking like you got hurt, but your facial expression not changing one bit. And so he, like, wouldn't react to anything, and the audience thought it was hilarious. And that's how he became but the great stone face. I, okay... 
can relate. I am not Buster Keaton. I will tell a short story where I just now realized like that literally worked. So it's in a show. <laughs> I was in like middle school and we're doing a production of Dearly Departed. You probably don't know this play. I don't know, but it's very silly. There's like a funeral that happens and like they added my character because I'm like adorable. Yeah, and so they, I think they called me Precious, not based on the novel Pushed by Sapphire, but like Precious. Yeah. And so <laughs> I was always trying to eat. Like, I could not get to food. Like, people, the joke was always, like, people would have a tray of food, and then I'd be like, oh, it's my time. And then, like, they would take it away, and it's like, yeah. no. Um, and I'm like, oh, I'm formed other things. But um, anyways, so, like, and I never had any lines. So there's this one part where there was a couch on stage, and I was crawling across the top of the couch to get a food that was on a, a lamp thing or whatever, a nightstand. And then I fell off of the back of the couch during a performance onto the ground and then like one arm just like slowly was like uh, 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 like a little claw coming out of the side and then I like scooted across like misery style oh, like so to get good. it and I got so many laughs and the director was like we're keeping it and I'm like in sixth grade and I'm like oh that's like yeah. that's the funniest the bit I could have done. The best three words in rehearsal are we're keeping it. Yeah. When yeah. you do something like just absolutely ridiculous. Right. Ugh, feels See, so good. And I, did I crack a rib? I don't know. But <laughs> I don't know if you've never been last. able to breathe since. Yeah. And now, yeah, now I live with it. <laughs> um, no, but yeah, that totally makes sense. So you went to Vassar. I was like yeah. I'm Googling you famously. And um, I was like, oh, you were like a smart boy. And then you went to like a cool college and you did all these things. Did you decide, like, you when you graduated high school, tell me a story about, like, that little journey of art? Yeah. You know, I, um, so I was a junior in high school, and mm -hmm. I was in a, um, a show that I actually talk about uh, too much. I certainly talk about it too much. I was mm -hmm. in The Producers, and I was playing Leo Bloom, and one of my dear friends to this day, Noah Robbins, was playing Max Bialystok. Um, and if you know Noah Robbins, you can Google him. He's um, amazing. And mm -hmm. uh, the two of us as a pair are very funny looking on stage. Um, <laughs> but it was just like this production where we were like, I don't know, we were um, too confident. We just thought we were amazing. And I'm still proud of it to this day. But mm -hmm. while we were doing that show, we were like in dress rehearsal. And Noah had been going back and forth to New York auditioning for a Broadway show, for a Broadway play. Oh, wow. And he's running late for dress rehearsal, and we're, like, waiting on him. And I get a phone call from Noah, and I was like, where are you? And he's like, I I'm so close, um, but I have to tell you, man, I just got the call. Like, I booked it. <gasps> and he had been cast as Eugene in Brighton Beach Memoirs oh on Broadway. Oh, my gosh. And so he, like, he was like, don't tell anyone. Like, I don't want to tell anyone until after the we're done with the show. Okay. I was like, okay. And I hung up, and I told everyone. <laughs> and we, like, all... <laughs> I was like, just like everyone, like wait outside this room, and then I like went to the front doors of the school, and I like mm -hmm. greeted him. I was like, yeah, you did it. And I was mm -hmm. like, but I like don't worry about it. And then he came in, and everyone like went nuts, and it was this amazing celebratory That's moment. So sweet. It was so cool, and it certainly like made us feel more professional just by being yeah. near him. Well, it's when one person from the tribe yeah. gets a thing, you're like, totally. oh, we're all in this. And I have to yeah. like, I just have to say this piece of advice that he gave me that year that he doesn't remember telling me he's mm -hmm. since told me but he definitely said it i was like i was asking him for advice about acting because he's the best actor i've ever met and he was like well you know so he's like the, i feel like the key to acting is making everyone else on stage look better than you 
I was oh like, my that is gosh! Such good advice. Mm-hmm. And I think that's like what that show was. We were always throwing each other setups so that the other could yeah. hit the punchline, you know. And it was really, it was a really great mm-hmm. experience. So I was doing that, and um, his success made me think, well, maybe I could try this in another kind of way. I auditioned for like a community theater production for the first time since the neighborhood community theater. Mm-hmm. I was like, I'm going to try something outside of school. I was in a production of Gypsy, which was really fun. And I was yeah. like with adults and it was, it felt really good. Mm-hmm. So my senior year, I was like, you know, full disclosure, my dad was like, don't apply to um, musical theater programs. He's yeah. like, that's, he's like, I don't think you should do that. So I, yeah. I ended up not doing it under some pressure from him. Mm-hmm. But, um, I was also a wrestler in high school, okay. so I was really conflicted yeah. about whether I should go wrestle in college, which mm-hmm. was something that I wanted to do, or go somewhere where I could pursue theater. Um, <laughs> dilemma. I know. It was, it was the, the traditional dilemma. Right. Um, right. So I, I think because of my experience with the producers and sort mm-hmm. of the camaraderie that I found with my theater people. Yeah. And then, you know, these these things sort of lined up so that I, I decided to go to Vassar where I could study a bunch of different things, but I could do a lot of student theater. And I think that was the big key for me at the time. Mm-hmm. Um, I wasn't going to have to wait to be in shows like some of the BFA programs. Mm-hmm. Not that I applied to them, but um, <laughs> it was yeah. like close enough to New York that I could theoretically jump on the train and audition in New York, which I didn't mm-hmm. do until my sophomore year but then I started working in New York and I was able to go back and forth right so it was like it was this confluence of things that I would that's a smart move though being like oh I could always like theoretically just go yeah like I'd literally just whenever I want yeah that's smart it was it was good Mm -hmm. and it was far enough from New York that I wasn't in New York but I can't imagine going to school in New York. I feel like that's, like, so stress city. Yeah. yeah. Like, people are, like, NYU. I'm like, how do you do such things? Yeah, I mean, just, like, having to worry about the things that we worry about now, but, like, on top of that, an academic schedule and, like... Yes. It's crazy. I, it's not for me. Um, yeah, my parents were, like, do not pursue... I mean, they were, like, if you want to keep, like, performing, like, for fun, like, do that, but, like, totally. don't do it in school. Like, don't don't do that. And I was like, yeah. okay, so I went for a marketing degree and then like sophomore year I was like, mm, so like I get it now and I want to mm. go. Like I don't want to waste my parents' money yeah. or anything else. Um, but ever, yeah, everyone has their own like path and all those silly things. Yeah, <sighs> I mean, I think the, like the backup degree thing mm-hmm. is, I think it comes from a good place. Mm-hmm. Like if you're listening and your parents are trying to tell you to get a backup degree, like it comes from a good place. I think yeah. sometimes, like depending on who you are, it could be really fulfilling. I loved mm-hmm. studying political science, and I loved the you know being able to do music and theater as yeah. separate entities. Like I, the liberal arts thing really worked for me. Yeah. But it doesn't for everyone. Um, mm-hmm. So. I don't know. I don't have any advice, but yeah. I, well, all I say is that it just, comes from a good place. Yeah, they're just trying to give you financial stability. It literally is nothing yeah. besides, hey, we just care about your future. Like, we've always cared about you. Totally. It's my, not like, hey, your dreams are kind of shit. Yeah. <laughs> like, my, my dad's, you know, supportive, but mm-hmm. we did have the conversation where he was like, oh, you want to be an actor? Okay. Pay rent as an actor. Yeah. And I was like, oh, I will work at a coffee shop. Yeah. And it was fine. Yeah. And it was good. You had to get it done. Yeah. Like, 
Damon, in between every gig, would be like, okay, I'm on shift gig. Like, okay, I'm picking up this yeah. thing. I'm waiting. He used to wait in line for people for cronuts. This was amazing. Do you know, like, Don yeah. Gansel downtown? So, like, he would wait for people. Like, wealthy, wealthy people would pay him money to stand in line and then purchase cronuts, deliver to the hotel, and then literally he would make, like, $100 a morning. <laughs> That's incredible. But it's so funny because it's like, people will pay for anything. And it's just like, okay. But then he was able to make rent, go to auditions. It's like, whatever you have to do. Yeah. I don't think there's any shame in it. I'm glad that there was that, like, story report on the guy from, like, the Cosby show that was yeah. at Trader Joe's. Because I was like, okay, we, we all needed you to see behind this curtain. Yeah. The Toto curtain that fell on this man. Poor man. <laughs> in Brooklyn. Poor man, but he survived yeah. and everyone laughed. You know what I mean? And then also he booked work after that. Did you see that? Yeah, yeah. that was incredible. <laughs> I was like, okay, good for you. Like, what do I have to do? Um, <laughs> no, I, I, yeah, I think like the... We, we actually just live in a world where people have multiple jobs. You know, like, yeah. not to get into the, the political right. element of it all, but there is like... There's a difference between employment rate and how many jobs and the quality of those jobs. And the fact is that we have this misconception mm -hmm. that um, a career for most people means that you get to do one thing constantly. Mm -hmm. um, and yeah. I, so, like, you know, you have to have multiple jobs. You got to do what you got to do. Some, you know, and sometimes yeah. that sometimes, like, for me, I feel really happy and lucky when that other job is, like, teaching theater. Um, yeah. That's a really incredibly fulfilling thing. Mm -hmm. It's tangentially related to doing it, but it's a different thing too, you know? <laughs> but it's still in your wheelhouse of like, what gifts can I give another person? Just like you were telling about your friend. Yeah. How can I make this person that I'm teaching look better? Yeah. Yeah. You're always giving gifts. See, that's your love language. Boom, boom, boom. Uh, <laughs> we were talking about the five love languages. Shout out to Mark Tallman of the First Wives Club. Check it out. It's on season two. Um, they just got renewed. But he gave us this book when we got engaged, and it's, like, lovely by Gary Chapman. We are not sponsored by Gary, but we might be soon. Um, so tell me, okay, I'm sure you have these because I also stalked your, like, tag photos of you and, like, celebs. Oh, backstage, yeah. which by the way, sometimes celebrities for us don't mean celebrity to other people. Like I met, I saw Judy Kuhn one time in a space and I went, I just, I, and, and I was absolutely tongue tied, like a ridiculous, silly little girl. And I was like, hold on. I have met like a million people. And it was like, Judy Kuhn was in my space and I was like, okay, well what you did, <laughs> she's like, um, can I get this t-shirt in a size small? And I was like, yeah, but like first, <laughs> She's, I was an absolute, like, wreck. Was this, like, pre or post? It was fun post home. Fun Home. Yeah, he's using Bring a Fun Home, home mug. Exactly. She's, uh, that, she's so good in that. She, But she's also, like, the... I feel like she's such an icon um, because of... For so many different communities. Like, right. because of her animated voiceover work. Mm -hmm. Upon Us. Yeah. Or Lame Is. Like, she's just, like... Yeah. She is um, Also, things. I found out that um, she went to my high school. Really? Wait, did you grow up in D.C. proper? Mm-hmm. Oh, okay. You're a cool person. Uh, yeah. I mean, when we were 13, on my 13th birthday, actually, um, we moved from Silver Spring, Maryland. That's where my best friend lives. Really? She's literally, yes. She oh literally God. just moved there. South Georgia Avenue. So, I'm literally going to do my show at the Silver Spring Black, Black Box. And you are. You should come. Yeah. That's amazing. Yeah, I love that yeah. place. That's so weird. That's I've met when so many people. It? When am I doing I'm, like, lining up the calendar for okay. 2020, which we are already in. It's 2020. We're fully in 2020. I already need a break. Oh. 
I gotta take a second and tell y'all about my personal training coaches, Steve and Rachel Payne at House of Pain. I've been doing their workout programs, let's say three years, and they shape bodies. And yes, they prepare people to compete in bodybuilding shows, which some of it's your jam, it's not my jam. What I love about them is that they understand the look that I want, tone, fit, something that's sustainable for my lifestyle. They create a custom individual plan that includes my workouts, my cardio, and my nutrition. I do their online program, but when I'm in Atlanta, I do one-on-one training with them at their facility and it kicks my ass. They FaceTime me whenever I have questions, alter my plan when needed, and no matter what stage you wanna step on, competition, career, lifestyle, a red carpet, wedding, whatever it is, House of Pain personal training is the most personal training you can get. Visit their website, Train with Pain, T-R-A-I-N with P-A-Y-N-E dot com for more details. So we were talking about Judy Kuhn, I guess, and but oh, yeah. this is all this to say. Can you tell me stories or a story about hmm. anyone that you remember meeting in all of your press, all the things where you go, oh my God, I can't believe I'm meeting this person. The, honestly, you had a lot are, of that. There I are feel. a lot of those, but the, the I think the... The niche ones, like the mm-hmm. ones where it's a personal moment, mm-hmm. have the most impact. But the one that I that I feel like um, is for me the most full circle is mm-hmm. I. So I was backstage after the show, getting my wig off, and um, like I, it was just like this great ritual where I would sit and um, Kevin, maybe who was um, worked on wigs for Spongebob and does like every Broadway show he's brilliant w- would mm-hmm. take off my hair and we would talk and we would like debrief and if I had any cuts he would like you know oh. it was he, he's the best he's just the best person um but we were like sitting in the chair and talking and there was an announcement made um like Ethan your cousins at the stage door <laughs> and this was like six months into the run, so my reaction should have been like, oh, how nice. But at that point, it was like, You're probably pissed. I was like, my cousin came and didn't tell me, like, <laughs> I want to go home. I'm so tired. Like, <laughs> there's, yeah. there's so much to do. I wish I'd known. I would have planned differently. Like, that was my reaction, which was not the correct reaction. Um, but this gave me an opportunity to check myself because I was like, I guess, like, okay. And someone really kindly. Um, you know, one of the dressers, his name is Chris, mm-hmm. who's amazing. He was very, very sweetly. He was like, do I'm going to go check which cousin it is while you get your wig off? And I was like, that would be great. Thank you. Check which cousin. And he like goes and I go back to my dressing room and I'm like getting undressed and, um, he pokes his head and he goes, um, it's Christian Slater. <laughs> is he your cousin? And I was like, no, there is no, that's amazing. Like what? And he was like, do you want me to bring him back? I was like, yeah, bring him back. So he like, he comes back and he opens the door. He goes, he's like, um, well, I don't know if we're officially cousins, but probably right. First of all, that voice. <laughs> yeah, that, that's like, that's how I experience him. I don't know yeah, yeah. if it's right, but it's, it's how I experience him. Mm-hmm. And he like came in and I was like, ah, no, we're definitely not cousins. I'm, I'm like, I'm super, super Jewish. Our name was Slutznik. It was changed um, because we couldn't get work. You do a 23 and me and it's like Christian Slater and you were like, like we're half cousins. We're like, yeah, we're like the um, first cousins. Um, but he like comes in, we like had the most lovely interaction. And my entire life, people have been asking me if I was related to Christian Slater. Every time I meet somebody, it's either Christian Slater or Kelly Slater or AC Slater, the fictional character the from fiction. Saved by the Bell. So uh, now at least one of the three is aware of my existence, and that's huge. That's that is, and also like 
I'm sorry, but like you got to be really reaching to be like, are you related to Christian Slater? Because you two do not look alike at all. Not at all. No. Um, That's my my favorite thing about it though is that he told them he was my cousin. Yeah. That's such. That's so funny. Yeah. (laughs) It's pretty bold just for for straight up Christian Slater to walk down and be like, yeah, I'm uh, I'm Ethan's cousin. (laughs) (laughs) So we are related for sure. That's so good. Uh, But yeah, so that made me feel really good. Oh, that's um, sweet. Yeah, it was a, that was a good moment. You you got to work with so many people in that show. Like, literally so many because there's so many songwriters. And I don't know yeah, if you true. got to meet everybody because I know that's not really how it works. Yeah. But it's still bizarre because the creative team technically for that show is Cuckoo Bananas. So many people. So many people. Yeah. Um, who... And now I'm, like, forgetting his name, which is silly of me. But, like, Sweet Man, Cookie Glasses wrote a lot of your show. Jonathan Colton? No, kooky glasses. To me, his photos are always like big glasses. Um, and his wife is Lauren Warsham. Oh, oh, Kyle. Kyle Jarrell. Kyle book Jarrell. writer. Yeah. yeah, 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 book writer. Oh, Kyle's the best. Yeah, sorry, so, I was thinking I was in the songwriter world. That's why. Yeah, I'm, sorry. I'm like, you're you so know, right. Glasses is such a huge part of, of his headshot. Yeah, but I've never met him. I watched the... T- Ugh, weird. I One of my dearest friends, Michaela is like Lauren's like friend also like we she would house watch for her when oh, she was yeah. like first having her baby and I was remember watching like one of the Tony Awards that Fun Home was on wow this through line um we were watching and we were like all these like lesbians in the room we were like we feel it we see it we hear it and <laughs> we're sitting there watching it and um there was like photos and like stuff out about him working on Spongebob and they were like oh, oh he's working on the show and I was just like oh for real like they're making that for real and then she was like yes for sure but like Lauren and Kyle I have never met in person I've been in their house a couple times like house oh, watching man. with them but lovely they seem house. like really nice house. right 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 and it's like oh my gosh it's so cool I love to see like the little bits of like before and then as it's happening and like watching yeah. a journey and watching you do it and then watching you do it again on TV just recently. Yeah. That was really cool. I had like the best seat in the house. I was like watching from my couch and I was like, wow, this was like a house seat that I didn't I, pay for. And like, I think I, I just feel like Tina and Glenn, Tina Landau who directed it and Glenn Weiss who mm-hmm. um, co like co directed the TV version. They just, I feel like they did a really good job of, of making it feel really yeah. live but also dynamic. It was really fun. Like, it's probably one of the best ones because I was like, you know, I get mad that we don't, um, not bootleg. I get mad that we don't bootleg. We 100%. gotta start doing bootlegs. We gotta do more YouTube bootlegs. Yeah, we, we need them. We need really bad quality. We need the <laughs> zoom in, zoom out. With like um, a head that goes in front of it for like three quarters of the and act. The, and then the dropping of the phone really fast. Right, and you like, start putting that away. Flashlight. P.S. We do not condone those. <laughs> no, but I will say, you know, uh, Alex Brightman on Twitter is right. Uh, it is, yeah, super intense. Yeah. Um, I feel like the accessibility question is a really important one. Mm-hmm. Um, like, it, I want theater to be more accessible. Mm-hmm. I, that's why I think these, like, film TV versions are a really great thing. And that's why I was like, um, I hope this opens a window for, like, yeah. everyone else because it was so good. Yeah. And I just, I want kids to have that all the time. Yeah. For sure. But sitting in the audience with an iPad... I, you heard me, iPad. Wait, this Pe- happened to you? People do the craziest Okay, tell things. me a story about these. Well, this is this one is like, <laughs> this is an audience experience. Okay. I was sitting um, in the Nederlander Theater watching Amazing Grace, and... Josh Young's Amazing Grace. Josh Young's Amazing Grace. 
the mm. very uh, Chuck Cooper and I was gonna Chan. say, um, mm-hmm. and I'm sitting. We're sitting in like maybe the back row of the orchestra section. So if you've been in the Nederlander Theater, there's an overhang. Mm-hmm. You're like, anyway, we're like sitting in the back row, and the people in front of us are holding an iPad, <gasps> like a full-on professional-size iPad, over their heads filming it and I say there because it was it was two people I only saw the back of their heads um but they kept on passing it back and forth when like if somebody would walk by they would like pass it to the other person that's like to hide it and they would like hide it a little bit off to the side they got asked to put it away four times every time the usher left immediately the iPad went back up so we basically watched Amazing Grace bootleg in the theater ah we yeah. did. It was a nice size screen, though. I will say. But you but eventually you, got confiscated. Yeah. Okay. Good. But also, like it because of that, you literally missed some of the show because you're so invested. Like you're invested in like what's going to happen with these people. Truly, we probably missed thirty minutes of the first act. Yeah. Like n- no, no less, possibly more. It was really outrageous. And we also, I was there with Danny Skinner, and we were. Um, oh, how do you know him? Uh, we, uh, you know, we did, we did Spongebob together. He seems you know. nice. Yeah, he's a nice guy. Yeah. He's, we've been, uh... <laughs> Y'all are best friends! It's funny, it's funny that we know each other through Spongebob, because we did meet seven years ago, eight years ago, because we're now in 2020, oh. um, at our, at the first workshop, but our friendship has become so much more... Oh. <laughs> like most people, actually, it's in that so show. So pure. Um, yeah. But we were, we were also a little bit mad about it. We were like, I can't believe they're doing this. Mm-hmm. So, mm-hmm. yeah. But also, there's some, there are some really incredible front row stories while we were doing SpongeBob. We we, we see you, like if <laughs> yeah. if you're on if you're on stage and you can see the audience, mm-hmm. um, and you can especially see the audience when they're holding a phone or something filming. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Like, we can clock you. We know that you're there. We know that you're doing it. Mm-hmm. We will look straight down the barrel of the camera. So look for those because that note that means you got got. Um, it's so much no but I do think I do hope that this is like part of the wave of accessible theater and and I don't think that my hope is that it doesn't replace theater going I think it is a different experience to see it live Mm -hmm. Um, well I this is how I know that it it won't because I remember looking up like I will say like years ago I was constantly like oh my gosh like somebody put up a video of Jeremy Jordan doing Newsies I have to watch and then I watched it and I was like I have to see that show live so honestly it's a commercial yeah it's so I don't think that doing like doing a professional like license from the company is bad I think it would encourage people to go because they people like they want it they like it yeah I went to see um I went to see Bridges of Madison County in its closing weekend oh. because I had seen videos and I was like, I sort of want to see it live. I mm. have never been moved by a single musical note, a single sung note in the way that I was when, what is it, Stephen Pasquale sang yeah. that A flat. I think, it all fades in, away. It all fades away. Yeah. The, oh my, and like I'm sitting in the back mm-hmm. and he just hits, he hits the note and you think he can't, like, he can't grow it any bigger and it just like pierces you. I was like, that's that was an experience that you could only have in the theater. I like immediately was like, Poof. he's gross. He's so good. It's outrageous. Yeah, like I saw the Robert Bridegroom like four or five times. Yeah, just because of him. Yeah, he's you were right too. Yeah, and then well, that's when I fell in love with Leslie Kritzar. She's who amazing. I can't I can't bring myself to even talk about because we don't have the time. Um, but yeah, she is an icon and she deserves your money. Yeah. So, anyways. Let's, okay, 
when the night that I met you, you brought up Buster Keaton. Yeah. And I was like, oh, this all tracks. Yeah. <laughs> like you, you like liking him investigate like his story. And I was like, oh, can you tell me a story about Buster Keaton and like how you fell in love with him and his story? Yeah. That, it's a good question. I mean, like I, I have always liked Buster Keaton. I think when I was working on SpongeBob, I went to Buster Keaton as research. I went to all sort of the silent comedians, Laurel and Hardy in particular because of SpongeBob and Patrick. Mm-hmm. They're like their comedy is really based on it. But in ter- but in terms of just like figuring out how to um have physical comedy not take away from the story and and not take away from the character but be sort of a big part of it. I I personally like Buster Keaton the most. Mm-hmm. SpongeBob has a lot of Charlie Chaplin's tr- uh tramp in it, but mm-hmm. like Buster Keaton is is sort of my guy. So I was doing a lot of research. And then once the show started and, um, you know, we were a few months in. Yeah. Actually, you know, we were actually like eight months in, nine months in. (laughs) And I was looking for ways to get reinvigorated. Mm. Um, And... You know, I, was, I actually never felt um, bored of the show or anything like that. There, there are things in a long-running wow. show where they can be really hard to get yourself to do the best work that you can do. Mm-hmm. I never felt like it was a challenge because of the show, but I, I did feel like I wanted new ways in. And one of those was to sort of revisit Buster Keaton and mm-hmm. um, Laurel and Hardy and those things. So I started mm-hmm. reading his autobiography. Okay. And um, I was reading this chapter about his time in vaudeville, and he was um, performing, he was about 21 years old. Mm-hmm. He was performing at the Palace Theater in New York City okay. on stage. And his father, a man named Joe Keaton, who was like this this drunk, sort of angry man, um, is getting heckled from the wings. There's a, there's like a, the theater owner, the guy who owns the Palace Theater, mm-hmm. is like standing in the wings and he's like yelling like, make me laugh, Joe. And, and Joe uh, chases him out of the theater, like all the way down 47th Street, all the way down 6th Avenue. Holy crap. Um, and uh, Buster is left alone on stage at the Palace Theater. Mm-hmm. And, he, and there's like 1,600 people waiting for him to do something. Mm-hmm. He's 21 years old. Uh- um, and he like does a little dance and a little song and the audience goes wild and there's like this little review written about him and I was reading this as I'm walking through Times Square Mm. and I'm like trying to finish the chapter before I get to work you know I'm like trying to finish the chapter so I'm standing outside the stage door of the Palace Theater (laughs) it's like still pretty cold and I'm like reading it and uh, it ends with that was the last vaudeville performance that my family ever did I was like, whoa, Buster Keaton's final vaudeville performance was on the stage of the Palace Theater. And then I went in, we did the show, and I'm going to say that night for the sake of the story, but it was actually like two weeks later, the producers call a meeting Mm -hmm. um, for after the show. We all gather together, and they tell us that the show is closing because they are tearing down the Palace Theater. And it was like a really emotional thing. You know, they're renovating it. Right, right. It was like this really, really emotional moment. Wow. Um, but it like kicked, clicked for me in this weird cosmetic thing mm-hmm. that Buster Keaton's final show was on the stage of the Palace Theater, and we would be the final theater to final show to play the Palace Theater the way it was played when Buster was there. Jeez. Um, and so I feel incredibly connected to him for oh. that reason. I also. Um, 
one of the most amazing people who worked at the palace is this guy named Bobby, who's just a true gem. And, yeah. And he uh, gave me a little piece of the palace to take home. Oh, my god! So gosh. I have it on my mantle. Mm. Um, so that was that's only sort of a story about Buster Keaton and more a story about no, but me it, and Buster. <laughs> it all has to, but it all has to like make sense for you. Like it, you know, you and also P.S. Like we forget how like the theater is literally a second home for a lot of people. Yeah. And so like when you invest time and like you perform, you're giving so much on the stage. Like yeah, it means a lot to you to take a piece of it home because it's yeah. like yeah, I, that was like a second childhood home for me. Yeah, so. I, I mean, I slept there. Mm-hmm. I like napped there. I would like, you know, I I be I. Some of the biggest milestones in my life happened there. Yeah. Within a single year, but it, it's it was a really important place. Mm. It's really sad walking by it right now. It's so, right. you know, depressed city. Yeah. Well then, don't go to the other side of that avenue. That's true, but I, I like keep on <laughs> I keep on trying to get it. I was actually with Tina, and we were walking down Broadway together, mm-hmm. and we saw that like the construction door was open, and yeah. so we could like see into oh, the totally yeah. gutted theater. It looked, it was really really sad. What street and is it on? It's on. It's really on Seventh, where Broadway and Seventh come together on Forty Seventh Street. I literally saw it opened. Yeah. I saw people like walking in and out with like planks and stuff and I took a photo because I was like, this is bizarre oh, that I You got see. a photo. Okay, so okay. Tina was like, Ethan, go stand there. Go stand there so I can get a picture of you. And I was like, I was like, I don't think I can do it. She was like, do it, do it, do it. So like I like walk in and then security comes out and is like and like for, like forcibly pushes me out of the out of the space oh and then it like waves his hand at Tina's camera is like no pictures no pictures so we got uh, we got nice and scolded for trespassing okay um, but it was, it was so funny uh, it's bizarre yeah also like mm, she can do whatever she wants she can do whatever she wants <laughs> she can and she should and she will um, God bless uh, female directors anyways I want you if you can. Tell mm-hmm. me a story about your wife. If, like, yes, because yeah. you two are so cute. And you guys got married, like, right after us, I think. When's your wedding date? November 11th. Yes, because we were October 20th. Yeah. And we're also, like, the exact same age, just about, like, you're a month older than me. Yeah. And I was just like, wow, it's so weird. Like, you know, everyone says, like, this is when you're supposed to do things in life. And then we've noticed that a lot of people, like, it all lines up, but sometimes it's not when you think it was going to be and yeah. all that good stuff. I say all this to say I love hearing about you and your wife, so please oh, tell me so a story about you both. I like I haven't thought of a story so I'm going to ramble for a second, but okay. I think like what you're saying is so is really true. Like mm-hmm. we um people are often sort of surprised that we're young and married, mm-hmm. which is funny. Yeah. Um cuz we don't feel young. Yeah. <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> we don't really feel super young either. Yeah. I mean, we feel young in some ways, but like mm-hmm. you know, we been together now eight years yeah and um i don't know it, the the marriage thing is like this extension of a partnership and i feel like we're really mm-hmm. we really are uh, teammates in a really a really awesome way that i'm that i'm very grateful for yeah we met mm-hmm. so we've only been together for about eight years <laughs> um but we did meet when we were 13 i was i went to summer camp with her brothers, so she's she's has uh, she has a trip of brothers. So I was in my, the same age group as her two brothers at okay. summer camp. One of them for many years. Her older brother was my counselor, my CIT, 
so I like knew her family well mm. before I met her. Um, but when I was 13, she like came to visit camp, visit her brother. It was a sleepaway mm-hmm. camp, a Jewish sleepaway camp. And, um, you know, all of the kids in our bunk went to play basketball, leaving her and her father alone. And I, to everyone's great surprise, I'm sure, mm. am not good at basketball. Okay. Nor do, nor, <laughs> uh, nor do I really play it. So mm-hmm. I gave them a tour of the camp. I didn't know her at all. I didn't know him at all. But I was just like, yeah, I'll, I'll show you around. Also, you're a 13-year-old showman. Yeah, like you, This is always ingrained in you. You're like, well, I can do this. I can, I can help you by singing about the bunks. Yeah. You know? <laughs> I took them around the whole camp. We ended up like that. We ended by sitting and watching the basketball game that was happening on a bench. And that sure. was the first time I met my future wife. Oh, my gosh. That's is, really cute. It was, I was wearing a, a mesh Orioles jersey and jean shorts, if Stop. I remember correctly. Correctly. I'm almost 90% sure that's what I wore because I wore that a lot that year. Who is... Like jean cargo shorts. Really horrible George. look. Jorts, yeah. Okay, who is the famous Orioles pitcher that I know? A pitcher? Oh, was he a pitcher? The, like Cal Ripken Jr.? Cal Ripken Jr. I was working in the shop and he um, came in and I was like, I know that guy from somewhere, but I don't know. Because he has the bluest eyes I've ever seen. Yeah. He has the most piercing blue eyes in the world and yeah, Iron Man yeah, yeah and so he's like <laughs> sitting on this couch and he's massive he is the biggest man I've probably ever seen in person besides yeah. like Zachary Levi and so which he shocked me with his height and I did not speak to him he's so tall he, <laughs> jarring and he's Calvin Jr. sitting on this couch he's so nice he has this giant golden doodle who is a baby and he's like he's getting bigger and I'm like okay Cal um, but I don't know him and he hears my accent he goes where are you from and I was like, oh, like North Georgia, near Chattanooga, Tennessee. And he goes, oh, like the Lookouts. And I was like, yeah, how do you know the Lookouts? It's a minor league team. Yeah. Literally, they're like the most minor. They're cool, but it's a minor league team. Yeah. And he was like, yeah, I, I scout there all the time. And I was like, cool. And then I went, oh, my God, it's Cal Ripken Jr. <laughs> like in my head because he, you know, famously, like people that are in a field don't normally talk about the field they're in because they don't like to give away sure. the thing. Yeah. Um, and so then he just started talking to me about baseball and then he came in like a million more times. It was so nice. He's like, hey, lookouts are doing good this year. And I was just like, oh my gosh, he's so nice. That's so nice. But That's like, so lovely. He's a really, really lovely man. So if you ever meet him, you can be like, I can approach this man because he's nice. That's, that's such good news. He was such yeah. a childhood hero. He and he, I think he knows that, and he absolutely yeah. like pays it forward. That's awesome. So sweet. So that's how I know about the Orioles, and I did a Christian mission trip to Baltimore once. I, I know in inner city. I gave. I remember like being on a hill, and this is when I was like, mm, this is shifty. But we were in some like uh, like a park scenario, and we were handing out ice creams with like Bible verses on them. Wow. Yeah, and I handed one to a gentleman on a bench and he goes hold on lady and he slapped his arm tied it up and started shooting heroin and I went this is not for me and I ran away whoa and I was like I don't think I can be um a bible like I don't think that I can be a missionary like I thought and then people were like that's not normal and I was like yeah but I don't want it to happen again and so I yeah I did not that was your last was that your last that was my last yes have you seen Watchmen no 
Well, I love the book. I'm a graphic novel person. Really? Yeah. Okay. So it's on HBO, right? It's on HBO. I suggest watching it. Okay. Don't know if any of that is going to make it in. But, okay, so that's a beautiful that's story wild. about you and your wife. Yeah, it's just, I know. That's amazing. Thanks, Cal Ripken, for reminding me that. of that heroin story. I, um, I want, yeah. yeah. <laughs> um, I was going to ask you to tell me a story about, um, like, the people, like, you know, stage door fans, all these yeah. things. Because you went from, I don't know if you're familiar, like, you went from cool dude, actor, blah, 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 to instantly, like, internet famous and when you're doing a show that is predominantly targeted at children i'm not saying that's who went all the time it you're an adult man adults went yeah but like a lot of children know spongebob like they associate you with it like did that can you tell me a story about how that changed your life when you were like oh i couldn't prepare for this in school (laughs) oh yeah um I feel like a big thing about it, and this is so, this feels really dumb, but like my Twitter had to change. Mm, mm-hmm. Because um, sort of weird irony Twitter uh-huh. doesn't really connect. Mm-hmm. And like, I'm not, I wasn't like super into weird irony Twitter. Like, I mean, I, I like following it, but I can't like retweet everything I see. You know, like there, there's mm-hmm. certain like, there's certain things where I just have to be sort of aware of, um, you know, my quote-unquote audience, which yep. until then was limited to my immediate family, you know? Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Um, which, although it's a big immediate family, it's still... Uh, yeah. I think that that was something... There definitely is this really awesome responsibility of being people's first introduction to Broadway. Um, oh, and, yeah. And SpongeBob had a lot of first-time... Broadway audience members. A lot of yeah. people, this was their first Broadway show. Um, and that was an, like, a really beautiful thing. It was mm-hmm. really amazing. Uh, and it felt like a pretty big responsibility in, a, in not nothing that we couldn't handle as a cast, but right. definitely was something that we were sort of aware of, that this was bringing people in. And, and it, I think, was a positive experience. Um, I will say, though, like... It's still sort of a niche thing. Like SpongeBob on Broadway is like still relatively niche. Like I'm not, mm-hmm. I'm not getting like stopped all the time. I do like you know, yeah. which is good. Like yeah. I do get you know like one like once a day, you know. A or casual so. once a day. A casual in the hello city. a night in in the city. Yeah, in yeah. The city. yeah. It yeah. does not happen in mm-hmm. uh, specifically Europe. You know, <laughs> it never happens in Europe. Wait, um, P.S. Where did you guys honeymoon? Did you honeymoon? We did. We went to. Iceland. That's yes. And we went to Ireland. Oh. Yeah. What? Okay. So like, was her thing Iceland and your thing Ireland, or was it like reversed? No, that's totally what we wanted to do. Like, I was like, I've always wanted to go to Ireland. I'm not Irish, but people for my whole life have asked me if I was Irish, (laughs) um, a la Christian Slater. (laughs) Mm -hmm. Um, My wife is half Irish, um, but nobody thinks she is. So the entire time, people were like asking so like where's your family from i was like uh russia they're like no really you know <laughs> you um, just lie yeah like no, the blarney stone we yeah, are the first we are from the blarney stone <laughs> um yeah no that's that was that was it was really amazing that's cool iceland was incredible did you yeah we we tore that place up for three days like yeah. it's so cool is that where you, that's is that where we you got honeymoon or no? no we went to greece and like no offense greece but like you suck <laughs> it was <laughs> brutal i just didn't like it it was just like did you like to the islands 
We, yeah, I mean, it was very luxurious if I was, like, a Kim Kardashian, like, I just wanted to take pictures on top of buildings with the wind blowing, which I did do once, but <laughs> I, I digress. Like, it just was kind of boring, and it felt very, like, oh, this is what people that vacation do. But mm. I like to experience culture and food and, like, cities and theater and all these things. Yeah. So, but Iceland, to me, was really interesting. And, yeah. like, I felt, I don't know. How did you guys do Iceland? Like, what did you do? We, we flew in and we did like an Airbnb and then we, um, we did the blue hole. Did you guys do the blue yeah. hole? Was it the blue No, the blue Lagoon. lagoon. Blue hole. That's a blue place in Tennessee. so much funnier as a name. I think it's the blue hole now. Yeah. It's going to be called that. But. It's, yeah. Oh yeah. Yeah. We should, we should write to Iceland. We should, we should love them out. Yeah. Um, I'll call Bjork. We're friends. It's, <laughs> I didn't want to, you know, drop it, but we are friends. Um, I went to her cat cafe, and she wasn't there, and I got really mad. Oh, my God. She's like, I don't know that she has a cat cafe. She had a cat cafe in Iceland. In Iceland, in Reykjavik. Mm -hmm. oh you guys had your honeymoon when last year? Um, we just went this summer, actually. Oh, yeah, you guys went. We ended it. up traveling a lot this year, because we, fi we filmed SpongeBob in, in England. So after I didn't know we that. Yeah, really wow. random. Wait. Really random. Why? Really, super good idea. question. Okay. Just the, <laughs> incredible question. Okay. Well, they had to rebuild everything, and so they mm. built it there. That's kind of um, cool. It was really fun. Yeah. And then we uh, took like a second vacation in three months and went to Berlin and to London. And it was awesome. Wow. That's yeah. really cool, though. You guys got to have a little trip together. It was great. Mm -hmm. It's a really nice thing to be able to like cap off some work with some strictly play. Yeah. I can't imagine. That's and then you also you had just when I met you you had just been seen on Fosse Verdon, which I was yeah. wanting way more screen time Man. <laughs> of yours. You know what? I feel very grateful for the screen time that I got. Yeah. It was super fun. Good. I would love to play Joel Gray in a bigger capacity at some point in life though. I'm sure you could. Like you such a definitely sweet guy. can. I absolutely freak out when it comes to singing harmonies. I hear someone sing a different note than me and I assume I'm wrong. I've always looked for a better way to train my ear and give myself more confidence in my harmony singing ability. Now I get to tell you about my new go-to app, Harmony Helper. Playbill Features writer Ruthie Fireberg calls Harmony Helper a lifesaver for auditioning actors. BroadwayCon star and Harmony Helper artistic advisor Rob McClure has called the app a game changer for the musical theater industry. Harmony Helper will help you develop the skills to harmonize using the newest tech available. With Harmony Helper, I can literally scan a sheet of music with the camera on my phone, and the app does some kind of witchcraft and maps out the harmony parts. It converts each line of music to audio, allows you to control the playback volume for custom control over your learning process, and then this, this is the crazy part. It provides real-time feedback to let you know if you're singing your part correctly. Take the rehearsal room into your own hands with Harmony Helper. Download it in the Apple App Store or Google Play Store. Yeah, you've, obviously, you've met him. Yeah. Yeah, he's the nicest. He seems like a sweet little old man. He's the best. I do, he, you see him just, like, walking around New York sometimes. Mm -hmm. He's my favorite sighting. But now I have yeah. the perfect excuse to go up to him. I, I met him, um, uh, he came to see Spongebob, mm. and he came backstage. This is probably one of my most starstruck moments. Now I've met him a number of times, but the first time I met Joel Gray, <laughs> I was warned he was coming to the show. Mm-hmm. And um, he came backstage afterwards, and he walks into my dressing room, and he, like, looks around, and the first thing he says is he goes, uh, what year is it? I was like, uh, it's 2018? April 2018. Fifty years ago today, we opened George M. in this dressing room. 
I was like, that was such a good payoff. <laughs> right. It was incredible. Which is, I think, Bernadette Peters' first show also, George M. Oh, wow. Uh, George M. Cohen. And I was that was like my fr- I had him sign his memoir. Yeah. It was like an amazing experience. That's really cool, uh, though. For those who couldn't see me, because I was doing a physical impression, he was looking around the room, like, at the molding, as oh. though he was going to, like, see his initials somewhere. Right, like, if you knock three times on this brick. Yeah. <laughs> That's really cool, though. That's so cool. Uh, he, um, I saw him in the cherry orchard, and, well, like, at the end, he, like, dies, and I got really upset. <laughs> Because I was like, I'm going to picture this when he passes away, oh. and I need to erase his memory. And then I, I guess I did. I don't know. But, um, yeah, it was it was very jarring, and I was like, oh, I, I wish I had not seen that. Oh, man. I, yeah. I, where Which, did you see that? I want to see him in the cherry was, orchard. It was on, it was at Roundabout. It was um, Willie Coop's dad. Chuck. Yeah. Yeah. Whoa. Which I was excited to see a minute because he had just done West Side Story with Damon. Damon was, uh, they did at the Knockdown Center for Carnegie Hall. Oh, cool. It was cool. They had, like, this whole warehouse space, and then they, like, they made it look like a New York City street. So the whole show, like, their audience was on both sides, and then you would literally watch the choreography take place on the street. Oh, I love that. I heard, I feel like I heard about that. Yeah, it was cool. It was, like, for one weekend. That's so cool. They had a children's chorus singing There's a Place for Us, and you would, like, hear little pounce. Weeping. I'm Can't excited wait. to see this new West Side Story. Both of them. <laughs> both of them. Yes, both of them. Which, P.S., I'm going to go on record right now. I called that Ansel Elgort was going to be in this West Side Story years ago. Because his dad came into one of my businesses that I worked in retail. And um, he was so nice. And I was like, I didn't know who he was, and I was like, yeah, let me help you with this jacket. He was like, well, I take photos, so I need to be able to judge my sleeves. He's an older man. And I was like, okay. Like, I was like, okay, this man's on vacation. Like, he likes to take pictures. That's so cute for, for his family. He's a fashion photographer. Like, he's a famous, like, is fine he? art photographer. Yes. I didn't know that. Oh, his work is beautiful. Oh. And like, yeah, and that's why, like, his children have incredible photographs because his dad, and, like, his mom is a model. I digress. So... He was, like, talking to me, and he was like, oh, like, you do acting? And I'm like, yes, also my boyfriend. And um, he was like, oh, my son, he he loves acting, too. And I'm like, good for him. And he was like, yeah, he goes to LaGuardia. And I was like, oh, he goes to LaGuardia. Okay, all right. Uh, Okay, okay, okay. And um, he was like, yeah, he's done some movies, but, you know, I really want him to sing because he has a beautiful voice. I said, oh, like, tell him to audition. Like, not knowing, like, this man. like all these movies like he's famous um and I said well you should tell him to audition and follow his dreams and he was like I will his dream role is West Side Story and I said that's weird my boyfriend's doing West Side Story right now he goes is it the Carnegie Hall and I said yes he goes my son was supposed to do that but he yes and it's Skylar Skylar Aston was Tony yeah when they did it but he said yeah he really wanted to do it but he ended up filming something and I was like and then I started to catch on I was like Oh, your son's oh, like no. doing things, and then of course he hands me his Amex and last name is Elgort, and I went motherfucker. <laughs> like in my head, I was like, nah. um, and then I said, oh, is your son named Ansel? And he goes, yes. Do you like his films? I said, I do for sure. Said, and he goes, well, one day if you see him in West Side Story, yeah. And he literally said these things, and I like, of course, told all my roommates. I was like, you guys heard it here first. <laughs> if they Side story movie that boy Ansel Elgort's gonna be in it and it, the news broke and I was like yeah I, I knew 
And Anson was like, Dad. Yeah. Stop telling people. Well, I was I was <laughs> thinking that his girlfriend, Violetta, who's an incredible ballet dancer. I know. I, now I stalk them. Um, I thought she was going to be Maria because she is like... Oh, wow. Yeah, she's like a beautiful girl, dancer, blah, blah, blah. But I hope she's somewhat featured in the movie. I don't think she's even in it. Whatever. Anyways, none of this really matters. That has nothing to do with you. I just wanted to tell you all no, these that's stories. A good, that's a good story. I have, I have like sort of a, I mean, sort of a similar um, mm-hmm. moment. I was talking with somebody, um, I'm not going to name names because this is a story about name dropping. Yeah, yeah. And uh, <laughs> I was telling my the story of my run-in with Meryl Streep. Jesus. Um, in which I so I have this like um, this story that is like like clearly sort of based in a lie um, but the story is that when I was a freshman at Vassar mm-hmm. I uh, took part in a show called Vassar Voices mm-hmm. where it was like the show about Vassar that toured the country and there are a couple of students alumni That's but cool. the original four people who did it were famous Vassar alum Lisa Kudrow Meryl Streep I think it was like Franny Sternhagen mm-hmm. and um uh, Lorenzo Pisoni, I think, were the four people. I'm not 100% sure. Wow. And it was, it was like this awesome thing at Lincoln Center. And then the track that I did was like similar to the track that Meryl Streep did. So I like, like to tell people that I like replaced her in it. You know, like I replaced Meryl Streep. You were um, the first replacement. Yeah, I was the first replacement. And, and that's like, <laughs> it's like clearly not true, but like it's true to me. Yeah. So yeah. who's to say? Yeah. Um, and then she was on campus for some event while we were rehearsing and I like, you know, I got to meet her and I got to shake her hand. Mm-hmm. I think it, that was the context. doesn't matter. The point is I tell this whole story. I tell the 25 minute version of it. Sure. Um, and the story ends and this guy says so kindly, like, wow, amazing. You know, when I lived with Meryl, she was like, you lived with Meryl Streep and you let me tell that whole embarrassing story? <laughs> Like, I, I just name dropped so hard based on literally nothing, nothing. Yeah. about your dear friend. Yeah. <laughs> it was like just so horrifying. Ugh, but he was so kind about it. That's nice though. Oh, but he yeah. didn't like go. Yeah. So you're a fool. Right. <laughs> yeah. So mm, okay. Okay. I feel <laughs> like we probably all do that a lot. Like I literally just did it now. Like it's just part of it. And then one day we're gonna be friends with the people that we were kind of telling those yeah. weird little stories about. Yeah. Like. You're the arch nemesis. Oh, I love it so much. I, I do think that at some point, just like we will, our, our network will get big enough that it becomes small again. Mm-hmm. I feel like we'll also be just more forgiving about it. Like, I think he was setting a good example yeah. of, you know what? I know that my friend is famous. Like, mm. I can deal with the fact that you have thoughts about somebody that I know personally because of, you know, her, yeah. her prowess as, you know, the actor of a generation. <laughs> Or a couple of generations. Um, I think like that's like sort of a good example in mm-hmm. like I don't know. Is it like patience or like humility? Humility, maybe. Yeah, there is like some humility to it. Like not mm-hmm. taking too much ownership over your connection. Yeah, because you know? it's like you don't own that person. That's not like you're talking about my cat. Right. Like. <laughs> right. They are their own person. Everyone has relationships to those people. Yeah. It's yeah. just they're different. Huh. That's there's sweet. A, there's something nice in it. Maybe. There's something there. Hard to tell. It's Who's to say? <laughs> so this is the part of the show where we play a short story. And okay. you did not prepare for this. I did not prepare for this. Basically what happens is it's like an improv game okay. where um, I will say a word to you and you will have two minutes to tell me a story that comes from 
that word. Like, it just yeah. can remind you of something. Yeah. It doesn't have to include the word. Okay. Got it? So, oh, or, and then also you give me a word, and then I will tell a two-minute story. Okay, wonderful. Yeah? Do you want to go first in storytelling? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Okay. Let me think of your word. Um... Oh, okay, sure. Um, your word is yellow. Yellow. Starts now. Mm-hmm. Oh, see, this feels really misleading because um, you know, yellow is like the color of SpongeBob. Sure. But I'm gonna connect yellow to uh, the mug that I'm drinking out of, which is Fun Home. Um, I I remember seeing Fun Home, and like just being absolutely moved to tears by it. This isn't really a story, but I think Fun Home was part of a series of shows that for me was like, oh, musical theater can be impactful in a multitude of ways. Mm-hmm. And that there's like such a beauty in the intimate story and storytelling. I think every like element of it taught me something. Mm-hmm. Um, and it just made me want to be a creative in that way. And I think I like, you know, Wow, this is this is just free association. But when I was in college, I wrote a musical as my thesis, mm-hmm. and it was like sort of this sprawling story of like um, people who had never met in real life but come together in the virtual world to like solve a mystery. It was like this really big concept that like had too many parts, mm-hmm. and that was the kind of stuff I was writing at the time. I had written yeah. a few things, but I had just written that. And um, I remember feeling, like, really bogged down and not quite sure why I wasn't able to, like, talk about or write about or express myself the way I wanted to. And then I saw Fun Home and, and a couple of other shows in that time, and I was like, oh, there, there can, there's a space for those big, sprawling shows, but there's also a, a real space for sort of intimate storytelling that can mm-hmm. jump out into different locations and these things, but it's really self-contained. Um, and so it was really, I think, the story itself of, like, knowing who you are and knowing who your family is and uncovering secrets, like, really connects on sort of the emotional philosophical level. But on a structural level, it also, like, taught me a lot about self-expression. And that is literally two minutes. That is the Whoa. most <laughs> deep short story we've Ugh, had. That was too deep. That was beautiful. It, it was, it, like, I, it, that was, yeah. Well... Well, thank you. Thanks for I, letting me talk. Can I can I also like ruin your day a little bit? Yeah. Fun Home came out literally two weeks after my dad Bruce died, <laughs> and I went to see that show like a goon by myself, and I was like, mm. like the whole time I was like, I can't do oh, it, and I literally yeah. wrote Alison Bechtel because I was like, and then I immediately like bought her graphic novels, like yeah. blah, blah blah, and I was like, you don't know what you did for me. Oh and I God. saw it like a million more times. It was therapy. Yeah. But it, yes, it inspired, and I hope it inspired a lot of other people as well in so. storytelling and also like just, we could really have a whole episode about that show. Yeah. It's just like really beautiful. And a friend of, a friend of a friend just did it at Yale. And did you hear about this? I did hear about it. They did puppet work as the Amazing. children. Um, because it's like at a college. Yeah. So like the come to the phone home like or like little puppets coming out and it like draws this connection of like even though we can't see the children they're hearing it and it's yeah. just like oh it's so pretty. So that's so that's so amazing. I, mm-hmm. I this really I think maybe another thing that I connect to about it, but maybe not. Maybe this is 
But I, I think that there is this interesting community of people who are um, like traumatized by the death of a parent. Mm -hmm. And my my mother died when I was when I was seven. And I have a number of friends who have lost a parent either in that time or later mm -hmm. in life. And it's a really different experience losing a parent as a young child than you losing a parent as a young adult. Yes, it's like uh, it, they're sort of incomparable. Yeah. Um, I think in a lot of ways, there's no reason to like qualify or yeah. quantify pain or whatever. Yeah. But in a lot of ways, it can be harder when you know the parent a little better, you know, in these things. Sure, sure, um, sure. But there was something about seeing it that was like one of those stories being told that I thought was really important. And mm -hmm. I've had this, I've had similar conversations with friends a lot about, not always about Fun Home, but it's, it's made its way in mm -hmm. about like what that does to your sense of self and like growing yeah. up and it's a really interesting thing it's a yeah it's a it's a doozy <laughs> yeah. it's a doozy but yeah it's yeah it mm-hmm mm -hmm. that's all i can't that's even all. like that's it it occupies a lot of brain space for me it ends up being mm. a lot of the things that i write about it informs a big part of yeah. like your expression yeah i had this interesting cup my sister's the only person in my family who like reads a lot of the things that i write um not because the others won't. I was like, we like, would all like to read your no, things. No, no, it's nice. It's nice. I mean, I'm like, you know, before yeah. she, she just reads them before they're ever, like, on their feet or anything. In the world. Um, mm -hmm. And at one point, she said to me, like, really sweetly, she was like, it's interesting how you always write about the same thing. Uh, <laughs> and I was like, what? She was like, oh, they're all, like, really different stories, but they're just, mm -hmm. like, all versions of, you're, like, trying to deal with this thing that happened, and it's really interesting to see that. Oh, wow. And it made me sort of recontextualize the things that I've been writing, and, um, mm -hmm. And, and there was a, a real validity to it. Like, I didn't feel undercut by it. It wasn't like I wasn't finding new... They were all different stories, but mm he's, -hmm. like, different ways in. And I think Fun Home, like, is that for, other, like, a lot of other people. This, it brings you into the story. Mm -hmm. I'm glad to hear that it was therapeutic for you. Yeah, like, yeah well, I think that everyone... could easily go the other way. Yeah, no, no, no. It was great, but it also inspired me to like, oh, I can tell my story, and it's not the end of the world, and it might help somebody. That's what it taught me. Mm. It taught me that because I was always so scared to write my own stories because I thought they were very self-indulgent, mm. and then I learned literally by sitting there. I was like, oh, it literally helped me. So like, when I do my play, it might help somebody, and that's how I can do this. That's awesome. It's helping me, and it can also be like, hey, you know what? You're heard. Yeah. I'm, like, we all have dealt with alcoholism, I'm sure of it. So, you know, it's just, it's a right. lot. But, um, yeah, what is... Speaking of Judy Kuhn, that song, Days, days and, and days, days and Days, just, and Days and Days, days and Days. I don't even want to do a short story myself because I want to end on that note where people are having to Spotify Fun Home right now. No, but you have to do one because I did one. Okay, fine. Um, <laughs> but mine are usually, like, so cuckoo. That's um, the way to end it, is on, on, on like, something that isn't too dark. <laughs> like, isn't so introspective. Yes, I do have a club of people called Dead Dad Club, but you're always welcome to join, even though you don't Aww. have a dead dad. <laughs> that's so sweet. Yeah, anytime. It's a lot of people. Um, um, that's why, I, honestly, Beetlejuice, so into it. Yeah. Like, that song, Dead Mom, my, uh, my wife hates how much I sing it around the house. But, well, it's I, it's gotten better, but, like, there was just, I, to me, it's just, like, the perfect song. It's a perfect song. It, it like, really encapsulates like that feeling of mm -hmm. being a young person being like dead mom <laughs> yeah oh dead my mom. god i just love it even just that line oh it's so good. yeah i'm gonna <clears throat> tell you a story um 
not on this when we're done recording, just remind me um, about that. So, Damon, cut all of that. Okay, so okay. you're going to uh, give me a word? your word is going to be snowball. Snowball. Okay, so that reminds me of my mom because one time we were at the, um, we were at Eckerd. Do you remember Eckerd drugstores? It was before Walgreens. I know, I think this might be a Southern thing. But like there was an Eckerd that my stepbrother also happened to be a manager of. But anyways, they had those little snowball, like, uh, candies like it was like the little coconut thing with all the cream and then the coconut and then like the chocolate in the middle mm. and they obviously like always look like boobs but <laughs> I would always look at them and be like you like who eats those and one day my mom was like I remember saving up so I could buy snowballs and I thought that is so sweet and every, anytime my mom would be like oh this was like a special treat I would love to buy them and be like let's share them and even if I thought they tasted like crap it was like, oh, I'm sharing this thing that my mom liked. Do you know what I mean? Like when yeah. she was my age. And so yeah. we started doing that with like fudge or like divinity. Do you know what divinity is? No. It's like a sugary. Um, the texture's kind of like toffee, but it's not as like chewy and it's like kind of it's very dense and like you have to home you have to make it from home. Yeah. You don't really like sell it. It's like a homemade rice krispie treat where you can't get the same thing out of a box. Yeah. And it has like all these little pecans in it. And um yeah, so anytime I think about like those snowball treat things, I think about like buying them and like sharing them. And even if I thought they tasted badly, I was like, but this is like our thing. That's so sweet. <laughs> Sorry, we were just telling these like I don't know like parent stories and that's where, yeah. that's where I'll say that. That's so lovely. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Ah, so eat your sugar. That's what oh, we're trying well. to say into the new year. Um, do you have anything that you want to put out into the world that you're like about to? Because you just did like a 54 below show of some of your like original songs. Yeah. Like um, you have an album. I have an EP that's on Spotify. We're mm -hmm. recording um, another short EP. Yeah. I guess that's redundant. We're recording <laughs> another EP that we're hopefully going to release soon. Mm -hmm. um, and. Yeah, there are a lot. There are a lot of things coming in 2020 that I still can't talk about. But it's well, then about just to be everyone's busy. going to be following you. Yeah. So just like constantly be updated by your stuff. Yeah. Just mm -hmm. um, I don't know. Keep a lookout. I put songs on YouTube. Yeah, and they're good. So you can. They're at least them. there. They're they're in the world. Yeah. And people like it. So there you go. Thank you so much for coming. Thanks for Thanks having for me. Thanks for sharing these stories, and then also talking about Judy Kuhn. Yeah. Goodbye. <laughs> and one time. There's more to the story. The kind of story we need right now. <laughs>